0: And thank you for coming this morning. Take your Bibles and uh, find, again, 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 12 and starting in verse 12, page 931 in our Bibles here. Fifty years ago, in 1973, the American League in baseball adopted a new rule Called the designated hitter, that established that uh, pitchers would no longer have to swing the bat. The DH position was established, and they they made the rule because pitchers at that level were really good at pitching, but they were terrible at batting, and so so they just changed the rule. It was uh, forty nine years later, just a year ago, that the National League adopted the same rule, so now they're all. Uh, functioning the same way. I guess the year before that, in 2021, the batting average of pitchers was 103, if you, if you follow or know the game. And so pitchers were no longer required or forced to bat, and fans were no longer forced to watch them. <laughs> you know, ideally, sports teams always try to put players where they're going to be the most effective, what they're best at. And that's really what God's idea is in supernaturally giving every believer in Christ a spiritual gift, a a special uh, divinely appointed ability to serve him and his purposes and the church family in some unique way that they would be better at and others would be better at something else. And so that's kind of the the purpose of chapters 12 and 13 and really 14. And as we come to verse uh, verse 12, he's just described some of the purposes or why he gave the spiritual gifts, and now he's going to illustrate spiritual gifts using the analogy of the human body. Verse 12, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though its parts are many, they all form one body. So also is Christ. It's real clear the illustration that he's seeking to make. Uh, the family of Christ, all believers, is like the human body. He's really describing what he will later in the passage, but not until verse 28, describe or use the term church. But he's using the term body of Christ as synonymous to the church. So also is Christ. It's, it's Paul who, who develops this analogy and uses it throughout his letters. Uh, he uses it in Romans. He uses it three places in Ephesians, twice in Colossians, and then this entire passage, the body of Christ, the body of Christ. And so we become accustomed actually using that in our verbiage to say that the, the church is the body of Christ. Now, that's the universal church around the world, all believers in this age since the Holy Spirit Spirit came and until uh, till the rapture and Christ comes back for us, but we can apply it personally to any individual local franchise of the body of Christ, like Open Door is. So, why is this so important to show this unity of many parts? It's because here in context, the Corinthians were so fragmented as a church. They were a single church, and yet they, we, we've just seen the issues he's addressed. They're taking sides, they're in conflict. And, and in these chapters especially, it's not even so much conflict, but that they, they begin to uh, believe that certain spiritual gifts were more important, and thus the people who had those gifts were the most valuable to the church. There's a sense of some being more valuable than others. It's being addressed here. I read, a uh, maybe you followed the news item this week as well, um, In Seattle, there's a a police officer who was allegedly caught on a body cam uh, at a scene of a pedestrian fatality. And at that scene, uh, according to reports, he jokingly referred to the deceased as a low-value person. Ouch. And so we we read that, and if that really happened, we're, we're aghast that someone would say that, and yet how many times do we privately, of course, judge one another's value as human beings, let alone does it happen in the church. And Paul's whole point is there are no low-value Christians in the body of Christ. We're all essential, like every part of your body is essential to your, to your body. And so in verses 12 and 13, he, he begins by saying, your value is not based on your abilities, your performance, your good works, your value is based on your identity in Christ. So also is Christ. Many parts, we're all identified with the person of Christ. That's where our value is. Unconditionally valuable just because we're connected to Christ. Well, how did we come to have this esteemed status in Christ? Well, verse 13, it's the Holy Spirit, which is more the subject of these chapters. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. That's how it happened. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. All believers are baptized by the Holy Spirit, third person of the triune God, joined us to Christ. The word baptized here, there's no water in this verse. This is talking about the reality of baptism which is to be identified with. So the Holy Spirit placed us into, identified us, attached us to every other believer and to Christ. And so that's the baptism of the Spirit. It happened the moment you put your faith in Christ. When you make that decision, I'm putting my faith in Christ, he died for my sins, you have become a part of the body of christ instantly so it's like that's a momentary it all happens at once and then there is a ministry of the spirit that is ongoing as a result sometimes called the indwelling of the spirit and the holy spirit in fact indwells all believers we came across this in chapter six or do you not know that your body is a temple Meaning, this body is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god so what happened when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost is he began to indwell everyone as they believed, and so no longer is there a temple that we 're supposed to go and worship at in, in Jerusalem, and no longer is this building a temple, but rather we, the people, are the temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. so he baptizes us, puts us into the body, and from that moment on he abides in us, and in fact he Paul told the Romans, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not even belong to Christ. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is the, the proof, the evidence that you are actually a child of God. That's, that, that you belong in the family, so you can be confident of that. Like I said, there's no water in this verse, so what's the connection of water baptism to this baptism? Well, very simply, they are connected, and that is water baptism that we've done here or outside or wherever. Water baptism is an outward picture of this inner baptism, the baptism that happens immediately as you believe Christ invisibly. You didn't even know it. You don't necessarily feel it or anything like that. But then we are told to be baptized by water as a symbol, much like my ring is a symbol, is not my marriage, but my, the ring is a symbol of my marriage. You are baptized into Christ, and now the Spirit has done that, and He now indwells you. This really uh, brings correction to a couple of areas where, where Christians and sometimes whole churches or denominations have misunderstood something. This verse alone is, is so crucial. Some churches or denominations or people teach that you must be baptized by water in order to be saved. It's like that that completes the deal. So it's really faith in Christ plus baptism. No, you are never more saved than when the Spirit baptizes you. It's a done deal at that very moment. And water baptism is commanded to be the symbol. But you are fully saved when you are baptized by the Spirit, not by water. The other thing that's correct is that there are some who teach that the baptism of the Spirit is a second experience after you've come to faith in Christ. There's a second experience that somehow puts you in an elite status. Usually then that group would also say it's accompanied by tongues, which proves that you now have the Holy Spirit. But what does it say? It says we were all baptized by one Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit was evidence of who are the best Christians, then you would hardly say that to the Corinthians. Because they are struggling with the immaturity and the carnality and the bitterness and bickering that's going on. But the point is, no, he says, I want to assure you, For all of your sin issues, all the carnality, all the things I've had to talk about in here, you are baptized by the Spirit. It's once more the way uh, God's Word always says, I want to tell you about your position in Christ that you have by grace that is unconditional, and that then is to motivate grace and positional truth is to motivate us then to then live in obedience to Christ. So you've all been baptized. Jews or Greeks, ethnicity is irrelevant Slavery, financial, societal status is irrelevant. We've all been given the spirit to drink. And he kind of grabs that metaphor of we think of water, but it's really the inner spiritual and then the water baptism. So, verse 14, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now he's going to develop the, the physical body illustration. It's not made up of just one. There are many. So think about the value of the many. So he's going to be teaching us that we should focus on doing what we do best, but also he's going to teach us that we should value in others what they do best. And that's a tough part sometimes, to value what others are doing well. Verse 15, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. So he's even saying you you cannot diminish your value by even the way you think about yourself. And of course, many people struggle with thinking so little of themselves. He says no inferiority complexes allowed here in the body of Christ. You you can't think of yourself as less because you don't have the gift somebody else does. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Believers each benefit the church differently. So back to verse 15. If the foot should say, this is, if you ever sat in a literature class and heard the word personification, this is personification where you attribute a human characteristic to something that's not, not human. It's almost like Paul's writing a children's storybook, right? Talking feet, talking ears, you know, those kind of things. I just hope that when uh, when the Corinthian church first heard this letter read, you know, think of all the serious stuff he's talked about. Maybe there's at least a few smiles if this is Paul's uh, effort at, at humor. But, but what's the point? This, this first section, and it's kind of, there's kind of a progression as he talks about the human body as an illustration. He starts with those parts of the body which are clearly, obviously seen. They are public, okay? Your eyes, your ears, your nose, your, 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 your hands, and your feet are all visible. And we might say, well, not our feet, but, but their feet were, they wore sandals, okay? So everybody knew if you had a toe fungus or whatever. I mean, it was, it was all visible. These are visible public things. And so it seems like he's describing the public gifts. Some, some spiritual gifts are more public than others. And he could start with himself. He's an apostle. I mean, he was the spokesperson he was the guy who arrived in town and had the authority. Uh, you, you, you need the, that public gift. Um, teaching and, and uh, leadership, shepherding, those are upfront, noticeable gifts. So, but he's actually describing that, that some people with a public gift might wish they had the public gift of another. There's a grumbling attitude in verses 15 and 16 about someone who is grumbling about what they are not. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not this. I'm not Joe. I'm not Joanne, you know? Did you also notice among these public gifts that the conversations, the comparisons, are between similar kinds of public gifts? If the, if the foot should say to the hand, they're both appendages. And if the eye should say to the ear, they're both sensory organs. And I don't think we're too far fetched to suggest that, to to guess that Paul is saying perhaps that the biggest struggle in terms of our spiritual giftedness is to compare ourselves to those who are most similar to us. We don't don't so much compare to those who are, I mean, they're, they're a completely different kind of person, working in a completely serving in different ways. We tend to compare among those who are most similar. I'll start with me. I tend to notice other pastors. I tend to notice, you know, wow, that guy, that guy can really write and put those words together, right? Max Lucado or whoever. This, that, that person can really tell a story. That person, you know, you know they, 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 have a, they have a huge church or, or whatever it might be. They're, they're a brilliant scholar. There's so many different comparisons. I notice those things because of my ministry, and maybe you've found that as well the temptation to compare. You know, we have uh, four adult Bible fellowships that started uh, last week, restarted, and um, each group has either three or four teachers. I think that's 14 altogether. If you're in one of those groups, you don't know when you go, unless, unless they publish their schedule, I don't know if they do, but you wouldn't know who's going to be teaching. And the point is, they're not in competition. We have three different worship leaders that, that rotate they're not in competition. Pastor Nate and I, as we shepherd, are not in competition. The vocalists, the musicians, they're, they're not in competition. And, and it could be that among these more public gifts, we might prefer, we, we might like some more than others, but we should rejoice and not compare, rejoice at the gifts that God has given to our church. And then it says, if the whole body were an eye, boy, we would be missing out if we didn't have the other gifts. We need to, ha- it changes everything. Somebody who doesn't have an eye, someone who doesn't, doesn't have hearing or something, it, it changes their whole life. And so, as you think about the public gifts of the church, uh, we, we, we need them all. There's some downsides to having public gifts. If, if you've ever thought, you know, boy, I wish I could kind of be the upfront person. Some of you remember that some years ago, I had uh, two mishaps with power tools separately. Some of you remember that. On a hand, a hand is a visible thing, obviously. And so when I had these finger injuries, you know, the doctor would, would wrap my finger. And somehow, he saw a reason to wrap it to about over here, it seemed like. And, uh, and then given the fact that I have a public gift or ministry, now i got to be up here speaking on camera with my big... It's pretty hard to hide. And so that's the thing about public gifts. Well, you might... Oh, I wish I, but then your mistakes, your weaknesses, your failures are also more obvious. Verse uh, 18. God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So whether it's an issue of, of envy or, or, or comparison, he says, just, just don't. Because, verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? We are so used to thinking individualistic, my, my job, my ministry, my desires at the church or whatever it might be, where would the body be? If in this kind of mini-series within First Corinthians about gifts, God begins to work in your heart about re-engaging in ministry or beginning to engage or seek, where are you gifted, where do you fit? There would be two very good reasons for you to do so, to, to respond to the prompting of the Spirit. One is, and this is probably what comes to our mind first, is, I might be missing out. So you say to yourself, I, I might be missing out on what God wants to... I, God could be using me more than He is, or, or in a different way, or, or begin to use me." That's a good reason to get engaged, but here's the other one. The church is missing out. The church is missing out on your gifts. Because the church needs your gifts and, and if you have the gift of, of, of mercy or encouragement or teaching or whatever it is and you don't use it, someone's missing out and probably somebody ungifted has to fill in. Someone who, who, who doesn't fit as well as, as you would. let come to verse uh, 21. There's a brief, different kind of comparison. Instead of similar parts of the body talking to one another... It's dissimilar in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, so now the eye is, is talking to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So now instead of envy, it's more like superiority, like, don't really need you, but we do. The eye sees a piece of pie, but he can't. The eye can't get it. The, the mouth can't enjoy it unless the hand is going to pick it up. And that's just pretty much the way the body works. Is that we are designed to work together. So don't look down on somebody else's spiritual gift or their ministry. I, we, we don't all see the church the same. We don't all, don't all value serving gifts the same. We don't all value the variety of gifts. By the way, music is not a gift. Not a spiritual gift. It's, it's a, it's a it's a skill that God gives, but but there are people in in these worship teams that are that are are leadership gifted. There are some that are encouragement gifted. There are some that are uh, like uh, like organizationally or administratively gifted. But and so some might say, well, you know, that that ministry isn't that very important. I don't need that ministry. Hmm. Some might say that about teaching. I don't really need. I don't really need the serving. I don't need. And we are drawn to say. We value every gift and the way God has put our our church body together. And so Paul tells them, stop thinking that way. You need the people you don't think you need. Well, in verses 22 to 24, Paul shifts from these very public parts of the body that everybody sees to the parts of the body that you don't so easily see. I think he's shifting our minds to think about not only the gifts in the body that are obvious and public, but the ones that are less visible on the contrary verse 22 those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment so what parts? I think there's probably two kinds of less visible body parts he's talking about. First of all, the weak parts that are indispensable, perhaps being the same as the less honorable, treating with special honor. The weak parts might refer to the internal organs. You don't see them. But even then, they, they knew that, you know, people died, they, people got cut open, so they knew that... There was stuff in there. But they aren't, you know, the in, inwards parts really aren't that desirable or, or attractive. We kind of, ew, you know, we just we don't want to see them almost. And yet they're essential, aren't they? Pro- I'm guessing that nobody woke up this morning and said, Thank you, Lord, for my liver and gallbladder, you know. <laughs> Unless you've been doctoring in that area, uh, you probably aren't thinking that. And likewise, churches have impact only because there are many rarely seen but vital the indispensable ministries Uh, i'm going to throw out some that not give names and and uh i've missed so many others but for example there's 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 three three people that get together once a quarter to do an audit of all the financial things of the church just before the congregational meeting, want to make sure that's in order. In fact, for the money to get there, there's there's a couple of, of people who are trusted with with counting the money, actually multiple times, when it's given, so that those things are done decently, and in an order. There's, if you get some coffee after the service, how did that coffee get there? God doesn't send the coffee angel. Uh, our angels have names. There's a. Did you know there's a water transportation ministry, because all this bottled water that we, we drank here, somebody has to go get it. There's actually a, a poster transportation ministry. Maybe you never knew that, but, but when there's new posters here, or we change the, the service times, or we put up a chart, or whatever it is, we get that they're printed kind of special at a place in Sheboygan, and we, we call somebody up, and they go get it, and they bring it. So I don't spend half a day doing that. It's just, there's so many ministries, and we, we could just go endlessly... With that list. And so, verse uh, 23 says, the parts that we think less honorable, no big deal about that. We treat with special honor. We want to give special honor to those lesser seen ministries. Then it's even a bit different, the last part of verse 23 and the first part of verse 24. The parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. Modesty implies clothes. So I think we get what they're talking Everybody understands it's really talking about private parts that you cover. And so some spiritual gifts are public. Some are like your innards that are less seen. And some ministries are like absolutely private. Private ministries. Now, here are my thoughts. At, at worst, they're a misapplication. At best it might be what Paul meant. There are ministries that are some of the most crucial ministries of the church are one-on-one conversations because in one-on-one conversations is where sometimes two friends get together and they talk about the stuff that really matters. It's going to be life-changing. It's often difficult, painful kinds of things. It, it's things that you, you work through together. It, it could be a mentor and, a, and, and somebody who, who's growing or it could be a, a shepherd and it could be a counseling type of a conversation, but they're, they're about private, intimate, painful things. They are conversations that will never see the light of day on this side of heaven. But they are essential to the church, discussing marriage or addiction or sexual failure, sin and guilt. And it seems like God is saying here that he sees and honors those ministries because he says while while, uh, God has combined the members of the body is given greater honor to the parts that lack it. Only doctors and spouses see certain parts of the body. Only God sees some of the vital conversations between humble, gifted encouragers and listeners that are actually transformative, preserving families, preserving churches. I don't think it's surprising the next thing he says in verse 25 is so there should be no division in the body. Because these personal ministries of personal counsel and exhortation and, or maybe even confrontation are that which can prevent a major conflict in a church or, or major upheaval and chaos and grief in a family. And so there, these parts are honored by God. So, so thank you if you're in those ministries that its parts should have an equal, middle of verse 25, that its parts should have an equal concern for each other. This is, this is where sometimes uncaring people become, become caring because the, 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 in the unseen, invisible aspects of the church, the body is growing and progressing and becoming what more holy because we're called to be holy. Verse 25, perhaps he broadens back again and says, so if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices in it. You see, it's as we engage our spiritual gifts, getting to know each other, building relationships, engaging our gifts, now we begin to share and receive the encouragement of one another. Uh, Whether it's suffering, whether it's rejoicing. And, And this year we have certainly grieved together. In our adult Bible fellowships, week by week, uh, each group is sharing prayer requests. So there's at least, you know, 20, 30 people that really know each other, know each other's needs. You can, you can share something that's hurting. You can, you can rejoice because someone says, you know, that thing we prayed about, God actually didn't honor, didn't answer the way I wanted to, but, you know, He's really been, been working in me and transforming me. And so we can rejoice together. So what we do in this room week by week is vital because we're supposed to worship together. We're supposed to hear God's word together. But what we do in every other room and what we do in the coffee shops and and, and the living rooms of our homes is equally important. Paul told the, the Roman church, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. This whole illustration of the body is really talking about kind of telling us don't just go to church. Be the church. Be the church is different than going. Build relationships close enough that the spiritual gifts emerge. In verse 27, uh, Paul kind of gives, gives, gives the Corinthians and us the, the takeaway. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it you all are the body, and each one. So there's like, a, there's like a, a selfie shot, and then there's the group photo, but there's also like the telephoto, so you can go each, each one. So I'm going to ask you to do a little something. It's a little bit weird. I'm not going to ask you to, to greet anybody or anything really hard like that. Look around at other people right now, and try to, just try to find someone. You say, I don't know that person. Okay, don't look too long, it gets weird. So, but just, but just, just find someone you say, I don't know that person. Okay? You all got somebody? Okay. They are part of the body of Christ, they belong here, just like you do. Sometimes we, we just kind of, we, we, we're, we're so used to going like, to stadiums and seeing you know, big stuff happen, and we're just one of the crowd. And you no, know, each, and God sees each one of us to the Corinthians, he says, let me, let me just kind of give you a, a, another sample list. He did this already in the first part of this chapter last week, but let's talk about some of those gifts. In the church, and this is now the, the first time in this chapter he uses the word church equals the body. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles and also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, and, and do all interpret, and the answer to every one of those questions is no, no, no. Then he says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. We'll get to that as well. The first three gifts in verse uh, 28 are, are numbered. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. What's distinct about the numbered gifts? The most obvious thing is they happen to be leadership gifts. And Paul said the church needs leaders. He was an apostle and prophet himself. Um, we talked a little bit last week that in the early days of the church, there is no New Testament to communicate all this new truth about what is the church. So you need people who are going to be speaking directly from God. The church will always need teachers. First day of the church, Acts two forty two, they they continued in the apostles' teaching, and from then until today, uh, we need teachers. We need teachers in our in our children's ministries. We have teachers in our adult Bible fellowships and Wednesday night ministries and. Um, Pastor Jim is retired supposedly, but he's teaching almost as much as he did when he was on staff. We just need a lot of teaching. We need to be knowing the Word of God because that's how God speaks to us today. After numbering the leadership gifts, he adds two gifts that are repeated from from earlier in the chapter, workers of miracles, gifts of healing. God does miracles today. God does the miracle of healing uh, today. Um. We have a prayer chain. Most of, the, most of the prayer chain needs are physical. That's what people are more, uh, understandably, easier to share. And we pray for that because God answers and sometimes miraculously heals. I, I really want to emphasize that, I guess, I need to, because sometimes people have wrongly characterized open door. Oh, that, they're the church that doesn't believe in miracles. No, not true. God is miraculously at work according to His sovereign will. But does that mean there are workers of miracles and gifts of healing today? That's a different question. Because to have the gift of miracles is different than praying and God works a miracle. To have the gift of miracles is to be able to say something and it happens. The gift of healing, like Paul and Barnabas and Peter, and for that matter, Jesus, was to rise up and walk, and, and that would be the gifts of the apostolic age that we would, we would question that those are given uh, today. They were essential as signs, we'll have another time to look at that yet in this, in this uh, couple of weeks, but they were signs to confirm the message of God's grace Uh, establishing the the validity of the gospel message when there was no New Testament. Paul next lists lists two other spiritual gifts that we probably recognize. This this is kind of like a sampling. This is is, uh, different kinds of gifts. But but we definitely would think that there is the gift of helps today and the gift of administration. Um, The word helps is a little different than the word serving elsewhere. This word for helping seems to be those who help others in difficulty, helping the hurting. Uh, administration, the organizational gifts of uh, making things in order. Speaking in tongues, that'll get later study in uh, chapters 13 and 14. And then he says, desire earnestly the greater gifts. After saying, you know, we don't all have the same gift, verse uh 28 and 29, then eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, what are the greater gifts? And understandably, if you're a Bible scholar or writer, different ideas have come, but the one that makes the most sense to me about the greater gifts is that Paul was about to begin what now is our chapter 14. Because in chapter 14, he describes that the greater gifts are, are, are gifts that are communicating in the known language as compared to uh, the way many were at that time coveting or prioritizing the gift of speaking in the unknown language or tongues. So it seems he's about to, to go into what, he was going to, what God was inspiring about chapter 14. But it's, it's almost like a break in this sentence because in the middle of verse 31 it says, now, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. It's like he, he takes, he interrupts himself, or the Spirit interrupts him in the inspiration process and says, But before we talk about the greater gifts, let's talk about the most important issue. Verse one, we'll look at this next week. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have what? Love. So he said, Essentially, before we get to, to really you know, understanding our gift and thinking that that's the most important thing, here's what's important, love. The gifts of the Spirit are useless without the fruit of the Spirit. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. The greatest of these three things you can talk about, love. So a selfish, difficult person, but very gifted, is a bad combination you got to have the love. As we've been thinking about spiritual gifts last week, this week, not so much next week, but then later, and God begins to work in your heart to say, yeah, I want to be more faithful, more in, 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 involved in what God once designed me for, um, you maybe have some obvious questions like, how do you find it? How do you find where you fit? Where do you, it, it, how do you find where you fit in this church? What ministries are there that you should be fitting into outside the church? Uh, invisible, visible ministries. So I could just share a couple of, of uh, I guess, wisdom principles in thinking about spiritual gifts. Um, well, let's just talk about them. How do you find and effectively use your spiritual gift? First principle would be to focus on meeting needs that you see, not on identifying or pinpointing your gift. I think we can become overzealous to, like, name, that's my gift, that's my gift, that's not my gift. Just begin to look around you and say, what are needs that you are drawn to meet? Because, frankly, you are probably going to be noticing needs very often that are aligned with your gifts. Uh, people with the gift of administration or organization notice when something's unorganized and the rest of us say what's wrong with that? <laughs> so if you notice something is a need, you might be gifted in that area. Good for you. Pursue and see how God wants to do that for your gifts emerge as we meet needs. Secondly, listen for mature Christians to affirm your area of effectiveness. Don't be thinking like, oh, I hope my gift is. That's, first of all, not focusing on need. That's focusing on the gift. But find where others are showing you, affirming you, thank you for doing it. And the, the big, others begin to see, if it's the body, the others will see what you are effective at. Uh, a professor, I think it was, that once uh, said, you know, this certain guy really wanted the gift of teaching, but it seemed nobody had the gift of listening to him. <laughs> so so let the body begin to, to function in those ways. Uh, number three, don't use spiritual gifts as an excuse to avoid certain ministry needs. Time to time you may know that, you know, whether it's for a carpet cleaning week or something, we need everybody we've got to move all the chairs from here to there. Let's not say, you know, I don't have the gift of serving, you know, I can't move chairs. Sometimes we just all cover and plug in and do what's needed. Don't use it as an excuse not to do things, even though spiritual gifts will guide you to to where you can be best used. And then gifts require effort and obedience. They're not just automatically effective. You really got to work at it like like anything else. A couple of biblical statements on that. 1 Peter 4 that Nate read earlier, put your gift to use. That means you have to actually make a step you got to make a phone call you got to volunteer you got to say hey Nate or or whatever uh, there's a time when you have to put it to use it doesn't just happen practice your gift you get better at it paul told timothy to fan your gift into flame don't neglect your gift and then fan it into flame uh, Timothy probably gifted as a teacher. He was the shepherd uh, there in Ephesus. Uh, Paul wrote to him in chapters, uh, two, uh, 2 Timothy 2:15, 2. said, "Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." So Timothy was gifted, but he had to study, and that's kind of personal to me. If, in case you thought that Nate and I just walked up with our Bible one on Sunday morning and said, oh, "Let's talk about this." Study, practice, get involved, and you will grow in being better at that which God has already wired you to do. And then this is so important: use your gift with a godly attitude. Because you can be gifted, but as chapter 13 will say, but not have love. Romans 12:8, you know, points out just those who show mercy do it cheerfully. Well, cheerfully is an attitude. Uh, 1 Peter 4:11 Uh, talks about doing it to the glory of god that means not to the glory of self so it's humility so the attitude is everything because like we said a good gift and a bad attitude is a terrible combination and the greatest is love because we love christ and we love the body we want to engage our gift let's pray heavenly father we are just grateful for the way you designed each of us individually Help us, as we view ourselves, first of all, to see ourselves attached to you, and so we have all the value that we could ever have, and that we have all the security that we could ever have spiritually. You have already uh, made us your child, and and we are secure in your grace, we are secure in your calling. But Lord, there is uh, so much that you give us to uh, respond to your grace, and we realize that The more we understand about how you've designed us is that you want to use us and that you didn't just give us the gift of eternal life, but you gave us a spiritual gift for this life, a way in which you've uh, preordained good works that we would walk in them. So help us, Lord, to each be faithful, to seek, to find, to use, uh, to be humble, to admit failure, to embrace the struggles of working with one another and then covering it all with a generous layer of love, Lord. We thank you for your calling in on us and in your work in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.